Christoph Zajac Denek is an actor, musician, and avid surfer who also has a rare type of dwarfism. This is part two of my conversation with him as we talk about a life-changing experience and how much becoming a podcaster has meant to him. I like the fact that you're not looking at us. I like the fact that it's just a voice of a human, and that is a normalizing element right there. Welcome back to Why I'll Never Make It. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, talking with fellow creatives about the realities of a career in the performing arts. If you're able, I would greatly appreciate your support of me and this podcast by going to donate.winmepodcast.com. In part one of my conversation with Christoph, we talked about growing up with dwarfism, his love of music and drumming, and how he just kind of fell into the world of acting on camera. In this episode, we continue that journey with the movie and experience that had a profound impact on his life. So picking up where we left off, he has moved back to Michigan to go to music school and get back to his first love of drumming. But life had other ideas for what Christoph needed to be doing. I was in school for a year, and I pretty much hated it. I was 30 at the time and around a bunch of young kids, and I was in Detroit. And I, and, and I, there were some frustrations that I had, and I ended up getting called by the woman who got me the job on Paul. And she said, hey, um, I know you're in Michigan. Do you want to work on a movie in Michigan? And I was like, yeah, because I don't want to go back to school anymore. I don't like it, and I need money, so let's do that. So I worked on a movie called Oz the Great and Powerful in Michigan. That's where I really started to do stunt stuff. That was my introduction to stunt stuff. And um, so I was a munchkin. I also was trained to drive a team of miniature horses, which was super cool. Um, I remember arriving to work one day and they said, oh, this is Tad. He's going to teach you how to drive horses. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's great. So we're going around the parking lot at like two miles an hour. You know, and he's like, you have to be careful. These, they're, they're like 400 pounds of muscle, even though they're tiny, you know, they would come up to my, my chin or my chest and I'm like focused and driving these horses around a parking lot and stuff. Go home later. And I Google this guy and he's the stunt man in Hollywood. He's the biggest guy and he's third generation horse wrangler and stunt horse rider. The guy is incredible. Like his, the videos of the things that he's done in movies and just in shows is mind blowing. And here I am like two miles an hour with these two tiny horses. And he's like, just be careful. Just be careful. Do this. He's the best teacher ever. He was so cool. He was amazing. As in you're in some kind of wagon or something and they're, they're pulling it. And so you're, you're learning the skill of how to actually steer them and do yep, that kind of exactly. thing. Okay. The horse training was so cool. And the wire work, you know, I was in a wire harness and on, on cables doing flips and uh, a dance choreography scene. That was amazing to be a part of and to, to work on. The thing that really busted it open for me is there were 50 or more little people on that show. 
Yeah, I, I would assume because munchkins are obviously a big part of the Oz world. Yeah. Yep. And they used a lot of locals in Michigan, um, a few for stunts, but most of them were background. And when I wasn't doing stunts, I was working background as well. I'm curious if during this stunt work, if your dwarfism, if, if any medical issues came up as you were going through this physical activity. Yeah, I learned a lot because I have a spinal fusion from T1 to L4. My back does not bend. I should not be doing stunts so much, especially flipping around on a wire. I did them because I was younger and I didn't have any pain and it was it was fine. And, you know, you want to be a part of that crew. And I, I didn't get hurt or anything like that. I did see stunt people, you know, who have gotten hurt before. And I, and I heard all of the other guys who have worked a lot more than I have on stunts talk about stunts and their jobs. But I did know in the back of my head probably the front of my head as well, you know, uh, be careful. Money is not worth you getting injured or not being able to do the stuff you love because you tried to do a trick on a, on a movie. That's not worth it. And certainly being around the, the stunt professionals that were there, as well as other little people, did that also give you some knowledge as far as to how to move your body and how to do different things based upon your size? Oh yeah, for sure. I learned that I am not good at flipping upside down backwards. Um, <laughs> and when they say, "Yeah, trust That's not your a skill of mine either." Yeah. yeah, when they say, you know, trust trust your weight distribution, like just go for it. I'm like, I don't bend like that. And they're like, "We'll help you out a little bit and like toss your feet over." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, I've always been physical. I've always w wanted to do things and be active and. I know when I'm going to hurt myself. And so I'm, I'm very conscious of not putting myself in those situations, but yes, yeah, so they, they were really helpful and they were, you know, conscious about little people's ability and, and who could do what on that show. But I made so many friends. I had the best times and that busted down the door for me. That was the job that just said, these people are awesome these people are my friends, these people are my people. And just because I was able to spend so much time with them and form relationships, and that's what it is, right? It's exposure. If if people are around six foot three people all the time, they're just going to accept you for being six foot three because your their exposure to them is uh, so regular. That's what it was for me, you know? Like, yeah, we were treated well and stuff like that, but I already realized that in Hollywood, that if you're different, you get treated better or you're there for a reason. You're a specialty or something like that, you know, but I made friends. That's what was so cool to me was, was having these relationships and these friendships that are still there now. And these friendships were a big part of you basically becoming friends with yourself again, accepting who you were. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think in the moment, it was such a high to be around all of these people. And so I probably didn't process it all until it calmed down because there were a lot of people with very different types of dwarfism that I had never seen before. And people who were very, very small and people who were, were taller and bigger than me. And it was just this range where there was zero judgment among us you know you were going to be judged by the fact that you know you were talking to a girl that somebody else wanted to talk to not because of your height or your size or your disability whatsoever and we all looked out for each other and that i think that was what was so it was so cool it was it was this kinship and there was this thing that i'd never felt before 
And I didn't really know how to see it in the moment or address it in the moment. But afterward, you realize and you say, that was really great. And that was a, that was a moment of growth. So did Oz in any way make you think more about doing on-camera stuff, maybe less about drumming, or how, how did that affect that? I still wanted to drum a lot. I was living in Detroit at that time in a house by myself with very affordable slash cheap rent. And it was cool to just have a house with a drum studio in the basement and be able to do whatever I want whenever I wanted. But I also knew I was stifling myself socially, and I I didn't like that. To directly answer your question, I, I wanted to drum, and I wanted to do more stuff on camera as well. And uh, Michigan also has this thing called winter. Um, <laughs> harsh winter, yes. Harsh winters. And I it, it solidified my, fact, uh, my belief that I am not a fan of uh, Michigan hard winters. Yeah, so I, I made plans to go back to California. Yeah, and so uh, how long after Oz did you make that trek back? I think maybe it took me two years to to play all my gigs and and do some work and um, yeah, end being in that house. Um, it took me a little while. Like I was very independent and I was very in a, a groove of sorts. You know, I was really trying to find myself as a musician and. It was tough for me. I was playing regularly and I was making a living at it, but it was not really what I wanted. It wasn't at the level that I wanted, I should say. And I did miss California and the opportunities. You know, I see my friends having these opportunities out there and they they deserve all those opportunities 100%. I, I 100% believe whoever gets to do something deserves to do it. But But I also know that there are things out there that I can do and I wanted to be a part of that again. What do you consider yourself now? Do you consider yourself actor, stunt person, drummer? Are you just this multi-hyphenate who's kind of doing it all? Or, or do you have a focus now? I'm multi-hyphenate for sure. Um, and I've, I am in transition as well because I've loved acting and I've loved drumming. Physically, I'm not going to go for stunt work. I know that about myself. I want to keep my physicality for the things that I love to do, like surfing and playing drums for fun. I don't want to do cover gigs because as, as I don't want to do cover gigs in the way that I'm trying to make money and make a living doing cover gigs. I don't want to physically, I don't want to wear myself out moving drums around and stuff like that. So I've really been struggling trying to figure out the next path. And that's kind of where the podcast has come in. Um, you know, I, I started to put this voice out there about a year ago and I was so nervous and so anxious about making a show about little people and myself. You know, the show was initially supposed to be about myself, but I don't want to listen to a show about myself. That's boring. <laughs> right. After 30 minutes, you're like, okay, I've said everything. Now what? <laughs> exactly. And so I, I, I decided that it's smart to open it up and hear other people's stories and maybe my story comes out when I'm talking to these other people. And so that's what I started to do. And that's been, that's been so cool to me. And, you know, I'm not making a living at it. My, my pivot has kind of been interrupted just like everybody else with COVID and trying to suss out our lives at the moment. 
but you know, I, I'm I'm really inspired by having a voice like this and by sharing stories and by talking to the people and getting the responses that people have had, little people and average height folks. Um, it's it's just been so uplifting for me and and it's been really awesome. And what made you want to go the route of having a podcast about little people rather than the surfing or the drumming or the on-camera work you've done? What led you to actually confront this part of yourself that you had run away from for so long? Well, I think if I talk about little people, if I talk about myself in some regard, all of that stuff is there. You know, there there also isn't, to my knowledge, any other shows that are doing what I'm doing. And it's just so interesting. I've, I've been finding inspiration in so many different ways and learning about myself. And it's, it's, it's exciting to think that there is all of this in me that I still like have to discover and have to put together and put into work for myself. And in doing that with other people who want to share their stories it's, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really, really awesome. And it's, it's eye opening and it's, and it's inspiring for me. So do you feel like you're still kind of figuring out what you want to be when you grow up? Yes, absolutely. You know, I don't know if the podcast is a financially viable route. Regardless, I would like to say, I want to do this podcast for as long as I possibly can, whether it's making my bills or not, because I th- just the impact that I've I've heard from other people, and I know that these stories have made on people. Um, I get tons of messages from folks who have never met a little person or have had one interaction with a little person and have anxiety about it, and they just listen to these stories and they're inspired and they're they cry or they're laughing or it's it's moving in some regard because a they never met anybody and b they never met anybody who did what this little person is doing on my show and i think that's really inspiring and i do like the podcast format for that because i like the fact that you're not looking at us i like the fact that it's just a voice of a human and that is a normalizing element right there. You know, you can hear the inflection and you can you can listen and you can be drawn in by what they say and how they say it and not judge them by what they look like. Gosh, I I want you to I want everybody to see these people. It's a ton of work to do video and I'm a one man band at the moment. I hear you. Yeah, you know. It's it's tough. Even just recording this Zoom, you're like, oh gosh, this is stressful. <laughs> but like, what am I going to do with this later? But um, I, I think that that's it, it's approachable, right? There isn't this prejudgment. There isn't this expectation of what somebody's going to look like. Go Google my guests. You know, they're out there for sure. They're on social media. Go see what they look like, but also listen to their voices hear their stories. And maybe it's safer for you to do it when it's just a voice and it's not this visual that you are, that is louder than what you're hearing. I don't know. It's where I'm at right now and it's where the show is. And I'm, I'm satisfied at the moment with it. I think you're so right about the medium of podcast and how, because it's just audio, it really is a leveling 
field for anyone who gets behind the microphone, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of, uh, of skin color, regardless of size, regardless of ability, disability. For example, I had someone who's deaf on the podcast. So in audio format, you're hearing a voice, you're hearing his words. It just happens to be through a translator. But for that one, I did do a video because I was like, I can't have a deaf person on my podcast and not show them, you know, signing and actually answering my questions and that kind of thing. So I did do that's, a video for that one. But that's but so still, cool, man. That's really cool right. that you did that. Right. And so to have a voice and to be able to not be distracted by what you see, by what, because what we see so often comes with expectations, comes with our own stereotypes, the things that we think that person must be because of how they look, because of the things that they, how they move. But once we hear a voice, like you said, we hear emotion. We hear that moment when they break up, when they're sad about something. We hear that moment when they're excited. It, mm -hmm. and, and we can share that commonality with them apart from anything else that, that really might be different. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think that just needs to be represented in a good way, you know, in a broad way, in a, in a, in a way that just shows that, yeah, we all have struggles Ours are visual, ours are physical, and you can see them and you can see us, you know, reach for things that we cannot reach, offer to help, you know, and say hello. It's, it, we're, we're people and we are friendly and it's, and it's good. Yeah. I think it's tough when, when there are so many instances that people, little people have to protect themselves or feel like they have to protect themselves. And so they put up a barrier or they put up a wall. And so, it's this feedback loop of, you know, I don't want to bother them because they might snap back at me, but if I don't say anything, then I don't give that a chance and they might be just really sweet or maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they're having a good day or whatever, who knows what it is. But the small ways that we can chip away at normalizing our existence together is, is worth it. You know, it's worth it to stick your neck out and, and that's, that's, you know, that's a call out to little people too. You know, if you are feeling that you're the only one or you're ostracized, you know, take the leap because there are people out there that are really good and they will accept you for who you are. You just have to find them or you have to break down the barrier or you have to help them in some way. You know, we need to help each other. That's basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> a memorable, because I, I don't really know the process for auditions or how that works with stunting or doubling stand-in. Is, is it just a call or have you had to audition as well and, and be in front of uh, those kind of uh, casting directors and whatnot? The stunting work that I've done have has just kind of been in the moment. And then I, I haven't really been sought out to do many stunts. I think there was maybe a fall that I submitted for and I did that. And then um, I ended up doing some precision driving on a role that I didn't know was going to be some precision driving. And then mm. it turned into that. So it's just kind of been something that's developed. And and I, like, I don't consider myself, there, there are stuntmen, little people in Hollywood that I know. And they are known as the guys for stunts. I am not one of those guys. <laughs> like I, I, I am not on, you know, 
10 stunt coordinators rosters as the next call. I've done it now and then, and it's, and it's been really fun. I have done some crazy auditions though. That's for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. and those, and a lot of stuff, you know, I've had agents, but this isn't just because I'm a little person, but I'm tenacious and I go after it. And I, the majority of the work that I've gotten in a big way is because I have searched all the breakdowns and I've submitted to them and I've written them notes saying, Hey, you know, I can do this or I I've done this before, you know, or you should hire a bald guy because I'm bald. Like, <laughs> have you thought of a bald guy? Right. <laughs> um, so my audition process is a, the roles that I go out for are not the same as average height individuals roles. A lot of my roles are, I mean, the vast majority of my roles are costume characters, um, you know, creatures, monsters, things like that, which hmm. is an issue uh, that I am, you know, trying to approach in Hollywood because I've brought it up on my show. You don't see little people in just normal facets of society represented in a commercial or in a sitcom or in a movie. You know, you never see somebody, a little person just walking down the road. We're always this specialty character. There are some, some small steps that are being taken, but for the majority of my jobs, I've been covered in face paint and goop, you know, it's, Mm. And I I think that that is a huge reason why I have felt the way that I have and why society has felt the way that it has about little people. It's we learn through media and pop culture and commercials and TV shows and movies. Back in 2016, The Hollywood Reporter released a series of interviews called Little People, Big Woes and Hollywood. One of the interviews was with Tony Cox, an actor in movies like Bad Santa and Me, Myself, and Irene. He was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi and played the preacher in Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. But not everyone thought he was meant for success as an actor. When I first got to Los Angeles, California, my aunt, she had found this acting school. And the guy, you know, he looked at me and he started asking me questions like, but what make you think you can act? And I said, because I know I can act. And he started looking at me and said, look at you. The only thing you ever do would be in costumes. And that really, it, it hurt me real bad. And I've loved all the costume jobs that I've done. They've been so fun. They've been great. I just want to do other stuff too. I don't want to be excluded from the guy in the bank or the guy in a subway or, you know, the guy walking down the street. I'm out there doing stuff sometimes more than some of you average height folks are. And I'm representing that portion of society, but you never see me in media at all. Well, I certainly hope that uh, those kind of opportunities come along so that you can be... Yeah. Some character that has some development and isn't just this like nebulous individual that like pops in from behind a curtain and like says three lines and then goes away. And it's like, I saw one of those in the grocery store and I didn't know what to do. If you could impart some type of like, here's something to know, here's something to keep in mind. What would you want to say about little people in general? I say, think of us as people. And if you're curious about us, 
and that will help you if you want to ask a question, if you want to engage, if you want to ask somebody to get a coffee and say, hey, I'm curious about you. Can we just talk? I've talked for almost an hour and a half on this. You know what I mean? I feel like I still have more to say. Like, we are here. We want to talk. We are available. We we want to be open. So much in my, so many times in my life, I didn't want to talk about my surgeries because I didn't want to bring the vibe down of the friend group, or I didn't want people to feel pity for me. I don't feel pity for myself, and none of the people that I've interviewed feel pity for themselves. It's, it's just this thing like you. You want to feel like you want to be heard by somebody. And so if you allow that moment to, to happen, I think it just gets so much easier after that. It gets, it gets so much more open and it gets so much more fluid and there's so much more understanding and relationships can get deeper and, you know, give it a shot. That's basically what I have to say. And whether it's in performing or in our own personal lives, that's actually good advice for everyone regardless of size. And speaking of advice, that's one of the questions that I ask about in the final five. So rather than give it its own usual bonus episode, I've included those questions here. All right, well, let's do the final five questions. Number one, if you could have any other job outside of drumming, outside of being on camera, what would that be? Professional surfer professional surfer there you go there you go because you've been surfing for how long um the first time i surfed i think i was 14 um and that at that time i was surfing once a year <laughs> so i did not know what i was doing you know i i didn't drown which was good but after moving to california i i surfed regularly and i kind of pride myself as being pals with the a handful of the Malibu crew um, mm. that I've I've just pestered enough and uh, you know show up every morning that I possibly can to surf with them and become as friendly as I can with them. So they're kind of surfing has changed my life. In I mean that could be a whole another episode where I talk all about that. But yeah, it's surfing is a huge love of mine. And has your size been a help or a hindrance to that? I'm curious. Probably more of a hindrance. Uh, I don't know. It's both. There, there are some people who see me out there um, and will give me some props for being my size and being out, being out there and doing it. And, and that you know what? I'm going to take that back. That's not my size. That's my regularity for going and seeing people and and surfing there because you can't. You can be short and still get dropped on and still get yelled at and still almost get in a fight because you did the wrong thing. I, I've been there. I've gotten off so many waves to, to let people go. And um, I do not claim that I am a local, you know, anywhere. But Malibu is where I go the most frequently. And um, it's a hindrance because my arms are shorter. So paddling for waves, mm. like, you know, Think about the leverage that you as a six foot three individual has. My arms are substantially shorter. And so the leverage for pushing a surfboard um, is reduced significantly. So yeah, it's a lot more work 
for me to get up and and I ride bigger boards because of it. I've, I've become a surfboard nerd and a half. Um, so I know what works for me and I know what I want to ride where I want to ride it. And it's taken me a long time to get to that, that place, but yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Surfing was something that I, I got on a board once or twice and it was just it for me because of my size and just lankiness, I could never really get all my body going in the same direction or still enough to to ride the board. It was always just flying out from under me. So so kudos to you for sticking with it. Yeah. With regards to number two, what is a bucket list role or show that you hope to do one day? I kind of have achieved my bucket list theatrical uh-huh. role um working on twin peaks i don't know of a, another director that you know i respect as much as david lynch and i mean that the twin peaks family is so amazing i've i've been absorbed into this crew of folks and they are so sweet and they are so nice and they they treat me like I should be there, which weirds me out sometimes because I don't know that I should be there, but <laughs> I am there and they accept me and it's it's incredible. Were you a fan of the original Twin Peaks? So I actually had not seen the original Twin Peaks, but I was a huge fan of David Lynch's movies. And right before I booked the show, I was actually planning on watching Twin Peaks. And when I booked it, I started to binge watch Twin Peaks. And then I realized that that probably doesn't make much sense because David Lynch isn't going to remake Twin Peaks. I know David Lynch enough to know that. And so I just started to watch interviews because I knew I would be interacting with him one-on-one. And um, yeah, but he's he's one of my favorite directors it's his his stuff is incredible and beautiful and i've I've always loved it and um, so what was what was your story arc that that you had within the show i am ike the spike stadler and <laughs> i kill people hello of course <laughs> Reco- you do, of course recover- you do. <laughs> recovering murderer who might not want to be recovering um yeah i'm a hitman and i have some really, really brutal scenes um, and some messed up teeth. Now, was that then kind of fun to play something that, for all intents and purposes, goes against the stereotype of a little person role? Was that was it fun to to be able to do something that was so different? That it was amazing. It was so cool. I wore the least amount of makeup I've ever worn for a role. They put a couple of zits on my face, and I had mangled teeth. And, you know, to do something that messed up on a show to kill somebody on camera, that's, I'm honored to, to be called to do that for sure. That, that's not, that wasn't easy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so honored that I was chosen to do that, but to do it with David Lynch as well. Um, I I love, I I love that that is a part of, you know, something that I've done. Um, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there are, you know, there are really villainous little people roles out there, which is cool, but they are for the most part covered up. You know, Chucky is more brutal than my character and, um, and leprechaun too, I believe, but you know, to, yeah, to do it. And, you know, you can see my bald head and my facial hair and my eyes. Um, 
it's it it's awesome. I'm really proud of that. Yeah. I I would assume that the audition process was pretty intensive since you were going to be playing a murderer. Uh nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh this yeah, I it wasn't I I kind of just found the role and didn't know what it was for and sent in my video and they said, we love you. We're going to hire you for this. And then I didn't even know that it was principal. Oh my gosh. Look, and, look at you just send in the self tape and there you go. You know, wow. this, this wasn't an agency submission at all. This was, this was me being scrappy and, and going for it. And yeah, biggest thing I've booked is, is, is through just a, a self tape of, me doing a couple things on a video. Hmm. Crazy. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, well, obviously they saw something. So you got to do it. So lucky. You know, yeah. so lucky. So you you've kind of already referenced this, but number three, who do you look up to as a mentor or someone that inspires you? So many people. <laughs> if if you could like focus on one, what would you know? I think my mom, you know, hearing my mom's story. Uh, with me and then getting to be able to talk to her as much as I can. You know, my mom's been through so much with me and always been by my side. And um, yeah, there's still a lot to learn from, from her and um, she's amazing. Hmm. I love that. And number four, what is a lesson or trait that took you a while to learn or maybe one that you are still working on today? Perfection is a lie. <laughs> it is. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and how, is, how is that? How has that shown up in your life? Because I'm so perfect that I forget it every single day, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to find ways to remind myself. Um, everything, man. I want everything to be perfect, and I'm I'm just figuring out ways of moving forward and putting stuff. I mean you know, you edit a podcast and put it out there. Like every single time you put out a show, it's like, oh, wait, did I screw this up? Did I screw that up? What are people going to think about this? Right. It's just put the darn thing out there, move on to the next one. They may have said like 40 times or two times. Just you got to move on, you know? It's it's life. You can You can hang yourself up forever. I can hang myself up forever. And that's shown up whether you're surfing, drumming, or on camera. It's shown you, up in all those areas. You know, surfing is probably the one thing where it hasn't shown up. Where I am smiling as big on a crappy wave as I am on a big wave. Mm. That, to me, there's, I think that's why it's changed. I'd say it's changed my life so much is because it's, it's just so immersive it's more than music is to me at this point in my life and yeah it's it, every single wave is different how you read a wave every single time is different you have to be so present all the time you cannot worry about being perfect like and i think there's so much humility in that when you get done with a wave and you're like well, I tried something and it didn't work out or holy crap, I went another 
50 yards because I made a section. Like that was awesome. And I got to go really fast or, you know, I, I was able to do a turn or whatever. There are people I know who take surfing very seriously and they don't treat it like I do. Like professional surfers are real and it is their business and their livelihood and they have to treat it like that. For me, it's just so fun and it's cleansing and it's, yeah, it's great. It makes me smile just talking about it like mm-hmm. I am right now. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, that, that's, that's such a, a good, a good life lesson itself about just taking waves as they come, being present in the moment and giving it all you got. So that, you, you know, and, and having fun with it. I think that's a, that's something we can all learn in just our own lives. And you so can't that. Control what you, you can't control what you can't control. Exactly. And so, number five, what is the best advice that you have received? The best, re- the best advice that I've received is be confident in yourself. Trust yourself. Go for what you want. Figure out what that is, because that can be difficult. <laughs> right. But, you know, be you and go for it. Who was it that told you that? Um, I think it's just a culmination. Well, that's not true. People that I that were mentors to me growing up have told me that. You know, um, my my parents were always very supportive in all of the crazy stuff that I did, touring in rock bands, and you know, wanting to surf and photography and video and stuff like that. You know, it's they understand that that's that's important and they they traveled me a lot they they showed me a lot in the world and i think you find yourself when you take yourself out of your comfort zone and your your normal conditions right and yeah so I, I, my my parents they're the first people that that taught me that I don't know about you, but this conversation with Christoph has been eye-opening. A, a chance to really see life from a different perspective, both, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. To find out more about him and others like him, check out his podcast called I'm Kind of a Big Deal, all about the unique lives of people with dwarfism. And as I've done here on the podcast for the last couple of months, there is an After the Interview special episode with Christoph also available. We get into Christoph's dating life and discuss the world of podcasting. Just go to donate.winmepodcast.com and sign up as a WinMe producer so you can get access to members-only episodes, like a special series coming out called The 12 Days of Auditions. It's my festive way of thanking you for your support of my work here on the podcast. And 20% of all proceeds in the month of December will go to Only Make Believe, a nonprofit organization bringing interactive theater into children's hospitals and care facilities. Well, a big thank you to Christoph for coming and talking with me and for being so open about what at times has been a very sensitive subject for him. He really is an inspiration. To stay up to date on conversations like these going forward, join the monthly Win Me newsletter by going to whyillnevermakeit.com. I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, and it has been my pleasure to be your host, editor, and executive producer of the podcast. 
Booking producer is Dylan Adams, and this podcast is a member of the Helium Radio Network and Broadway Makers Alliance. Music has been provided by Bortex and Blue Dot Sessions. Join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.